Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is the three types of taxes. We're coming to you again today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And with this podcast, we're going to start a series on the basic concepts of tax policy, a really sort of uh, core issue for us here at IPI. And I'm joined, as usual, by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. So, you know, the trick, I think, today, Dr. Matthews, will be to sort of stay within the lines, because mm-hmm. <laughs> when you start talking about these things, it's easy to go off into some other topics mm-hmm. that we're going to try to do other discrete episodes on. But what we want to do here today is just talk about the fact that there are basically three kinds of taxes. And we're going to have examples of each and talk about sort of how they work. So the simplest way, I think, to start is to say that the three kinds of taxes are taxes on what you earn, which are income taxes, taxes on what you buy, which are consumption taxes, and taxes on what you own, which are property taxes. And uh, almost everybody pays most or all of these taxes. Uh, Almost everybody pays income taxes, whether it's federal or at the state level. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody pays sales taxes and other consumption taxes in their state. And almost everybody pays property taxes on their their home, uh, their automobiles, things like that. So let's talk first about income taxes, taxes on what you earn. And I know that this may seem a little bit obvious, but not all of it's obvious. And besides, this is called policy basics. So you obviously have the individual income tax. This is what's due on or about April 15th of every year. This is what's withheld from the paychecks of workers. It's the one that most people are most familiar with. Mm -hmm. Then you have corporate income taxes. Uh, Businesses pay a corporate income tax or a business income tax on their net profits by and large. Every once in a while you hear people say something about how X corporation didn't pay any taxes in so-and-so year. And uh, what they're talking about are corporate income taxes. Uh, That business probably paid lots of other taxes in that year, but they may not have actually had any corporate income tax liability for that year. Another kind of income tax are payroll taxes. And these are the taxes that we pay to participate in the Social Security system. Uh, Medicare, payroll taxes support Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security pension system, and also the little-known but very important Social Security disability insurance program as well. And um, one notable thing about payroll taxes is that if you are traditionally employed, uh, your employer is paying the very same amount of those payroll taxes that you see coming out of your paycheck. Employers have to match those taxes. And the folks who understand this very well are self-employed people, mm-hmm. contractors, um, 1099-type uh, workers and earners, because they have to pay both sides mm-hmm. of those payroll taxes. And a lot of times uh, when you and I are giving talks to people about taxes, it's news to them that actually their payroll taxes are higher than they think. Because uh, 
if they didn't if they weren't required to pay payroll taxes, they would be getting both halves of the payroll taxes as compensation, not just one. And it's not small. The Social Security tax is 12.4%, I believe. Right. So it's 6.2% for the employer, mm-hmm. 6.2% for the employee. Yep. If you're self-employed, you pay both of them. Yeah. So you, you think you're paying 6.2% for Social Security, but you're actually paying 12%, which is, you know, I mean, you know, in the financial planners will tell you a great goal for retirement saving is 10% of your income, where you're paying more than that to, in total to Social Security. Uh, and for someone like me who is an employer, uh, we have to submit those taxes to the IRS on mm-hmm. behalf of our employees, not just what they see on their check stub, but also we have to pay the matching amount. And another form of income tax is the tax on the interest that you earn or the capital gains that you earn through saving an investment. And this is also really, really significant because if you are a if you are saving and investing like you should, this becomes a real tax burden. And sometimes these taxes are not so obvious or sometimes they're hidden because if you are investing in mutual funds mm-hmm. and things like that, uh, you may be, you have to you have to pay those taxes on capital gains and interest when you submit your taxes. Um, but there are also a share of those taxes that end up getting paid by like the mutual fund company itself as well. Mm-hmm. So again, that's another way where these may not be quite so obvious. And from our standpoint at the Institute for Policy Innovation, because we believe that it's savings and investment that drives economic growth, uh, taxes on capital gains and interest are among the most pernicious because uh, when you raise capital gains taxes, that's a disincentive to save and invest. And when you lower them, that's an incentive to save and invest. And so we focus pretty heavily on the idea of not wanting to see capital gains tax increases and not wanting to see uh, taxes on earned interest and things like that. So those are uh, four major types of income taxes. That's taxes on what you earn. And as we sort of uh, alluded to when we were talking about capital gains and interest, the rate of these taxes can in, have an influence on people's behavior. Uh, the the rate of taxes on capital gains and interest can affect the decisions you make about earning, about investing and saving. Um, the corporate tax rate has a big influence on the decisions that corporations make mm-hmm. about uh, how much they pay their employees, et cetera, et cetera. And the individual income tax can actually be, it's not as bad today as it was, say, during the 70s, but uh, the rate of the individual income tax can actually affect how much people choose to work. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first started working that this was an issue for some people, that if they earned too much, they would go into a higher tax bracket. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a disincentive, actually, to work as much as they might otherwise because it would throw them into a higher tax bracket. Or there was an incentive to look for ways to hide it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay, so that's income taxes. Let's talk now about consumption taxes, taxes on what you buy. Now, the one that is most obvious to people is the sales tax. Uh, most people have to pay a sales tax when they go out and buy most goods. But, of course, this, is, this varies from state to state and even, even county to county, right, and taxing juris- from tax jurisdiction to tax jurisdiction. And let's add that some states don't have sales tax. That's exactly right. Just as some states don't have income taxes. Right. And if you happen to uh, live on or near a border, mm-hmm. 
between a high sales tax jurisdiction and a low sales tax jurisdiction or a no sales tax jurisdiction, there's incentive to cross the border and do your consuming as much as possible (laughs) in the lower tax jurisdiction. So, you know, this is a a great example of how people do, in fact, often make decisions based on tax rates. If they can avoid those taxes, they will. Well, my understanding is the state of Washington has only a sales tax, no income tax. Mm -hmm. And the state of Oregon has only an income tax, state income tax, no sales tax. And that people from the state of Washington will oftentimes go to Oregon Mm -hmm. then to buy things because they're not paying a sales tax there Mm -hmm. uh, and and then bring it back. But, of course, there's actually another thing. Uh, the opposite side of a sales tax is a use tax. Yes, absolutely. And this is this. while the sales tax is very well known, the use tax is probably the most poorly understood tax, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the reason use taxes are on the books is because of what we just talked about, this idea of people trying to avoid sales taxes. And we ran into the use tax in a big way during the debate over Internet taxation, mm-hmm. right? Because when you would buy something from some online provider, Amazon or eBay or Etsy or whatever, um, until a few years ago, you would not be charged sales taxes. And so, like, if I'm sitting in Texas and I were to buy something from Amazon, which was headquartered in California, uh, I would most of the time not pay anyone sales taxes. Right. Right. And that did not make either California or Texas happy Mm -hmm. because they both thought they were entitled to those sales taxes. California thought they were entitled to them because that's in their view where the transaction took place. Mm -hmm. And Texas thought they were entitled to them because in their opinion, Texas was where the transaction took place. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, we still do not have legal clarity on this issue of where does an online transaction take place. This is one of the things Congress still needs to decide. But technically, if I bought something from Amazon and it was delivered to me in Texas, I had an obligation to pay the Texas use tax on that purchase. Right. And the use tax is usually the same or very near the sales tax rate. And, you know, I I recall that nobody paid the use tax. Nobody pays the use tax. Even though you had the obligation. Right. And there was a time, and this has been several years ago, where one of our Texas lieutenant governors bought a lot of, um, uh, he was a wealthy person. He bought a lot of, uh, I I think it was antiques from Europe or something. Mm -hmm. They came over, and he was hit with a use tax bill that, if I remember right, was over Mm $100,000. I mean, it was a big use tax bill. and. This is the Texas lieutenant governor's. What's this? I don't he didn't know even know that. what the use, the use tax was, right? No, and he was a little surprised. I, I assume he had the money to pay that, yeah. but it was a he was a, our, our lieutenant governor was surprised that he had to pay the use tax. Well, the because reason, the only time they did this is when it was a really big bill. Yes, well, and, and that's what I was just getting to. The reason nobody pays the use tax is that there's there's really no way the government can know about it unless you voluntarily disclose mm-hmm. it, right? Um, I mean, at least in the past. Now, if you're buying something online, they ding you for that tax. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, they ding you for the sales tax. Right. Uh, well, in fact, sometimes you'll see them merge together. You'll see it called a sales and use tax or right. something like that. Because, again, it, it's it's basically the same thing, except the sales tax is charged at the moment of the transaction. And the use tax is this mystery tax you're required to voluntarily self-report. Which almost no which, one did. Which almost no one ever did or ever still does. Um, so the use tax was a really big issue uh, 
before the Supreme Court's Wayfair decision. Mm -hmm. And when the Supreme Court a couple years ago issued its verdict in the Wayfair decision, they said, yes, the states have the right to collect sales taxes on online transactions. And so then most of your major vendors just started charging uh, whatever sales tax rate applied in your residential jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, But oddly enough, there's still no legal structure for that. And there's like, if I, if I buy something from Amazon and pay eight and a quarter percent sales tax or whatever, there's still nothing stopping California from demanding that Amazon pay them that sales tax as well. And at some point Congress is going to have to settle this, but yes, technically if you buy something somewhere else and don't pay taxes on it, you're expected to voluntarily pay the use tax in your state of residence or in the, in the, in the location where you use that. And we should probably say that this use tax element has become a big income, I think, for states because they didn't used to get this. That's right. That's exactly and, right. And now they're getting it. And so even as people have said, well, the states are hurting, the pandemic and other things create problems, they're actually getting, as people were going online buying things, yep. states were getting a lot of extra money. That's right. Now, of course, the states also argued that in the early parts of the e-commerce revolution, they lost a lot of money right. because you would have bought that at a brick-and-mortar store in the state. Uh, so they see it just as a restoration of what used to be and what ought to be. Uh, I think it's kind of comical that we've spent more time on this podcast so far talking about the use tax than any of the others, even though it's <laughs> it's the least understood and least significant. Uh, but then you have the value-added tax which is a form of a consumption tax. We don't have value-added taxes, technically speaking, in the United States, uh, but they do in many other countries. And the value-added tax is essentially, it works like a sales tax that is charged all along the line of production. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the time something is manufactured, sold to a distributor, sold to a retailer, and then sold to the end user, the end customer. Uh, VAT taxes can even apply to uh, raw materials when they're transformed into other things. So the VAT tax can become a really pernicious tax. Now, there are some tax economists out there who love the VAT tax because it's an extremely efficient way for the government to raise a lot of income. It's easy to administer. Uh, they don't have to rely on voluntary compliance. Whereas, you know, with the with income taxes, you know, you still have voluntary compliance. People still fill out their own income tax form and to some degree compute their own tax burdens. Whereas the VAT, uh, there's no gray area for people voluntarily complying. You, if, when you buy something, essentially you pay those taxes all along the chain. But another thing that's really good from the proponents of the VAT tax is there's no transparency. So when I go to the store and I buy something in Texas and I have to pay the sales tax, I know how much tax I'm paying. Right. I can see that. Right. But with the VAT, VAT tax, that's largely hidden, and I really don't know what the tax is. So I can't tell, have they raised taxes, or is this just a supply chain issue that the reason right. this is going up? Is it just the cost of goods are going up? I don't know any of that. That's right. And um, in in Europe, if, if any of our listeners have traveled in European countries or whatever and they buy something, you will see a VAT on your receipt. But you're only you can only see the, the only VAT that's transparent is that one that you're paying right then. Right. But you don't see what was paid, what was essentially hidden all along the chain of that. So we don't have VATs in the United States, um, but they are frequently touted by economists and by, um, frankly, proponents of ever bigger government mm-hmm. as a 
non-transparent, as you say, very efficient way for the government to raise a massive amount of revenue. Uh, and so from our standpoint, we probably hate the VAT for those very same, <laughs> for those very same reasons. Um, and if you've ever traveled in Europe, you know that as an American, you can actually, when you leave the country, you can file to have any of the VATs you've paid refunded to you mm -hmm. because the way the VAT in Europe is legally designed, it is only a tax on the citizens of those countries. So if you're in Belgium and you, you, you buy a bunch of stuff and you pay the VAT, when you leave Belgium, you can actually file to have all of that VAT refunded to you, right? Um, which is an interesting detail. Now, there's one other form of consumption taxes we should talk about, and those are excise taxes, or often called sin taxes. And excise taxes are taxes that are attached to specific goods and services, largely for political reasons. So um, people are probably familiar with special excise taxes on cigarettes, for instance. Um, it's my understanding as a non-smoker that not too long ago a pack of cigarettes was pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, these days they're extremely expensive, like over $20 for a pack of cigarettes in New York City, apparently, mm. because of all of the various uh, excise taxes that have been attached to cigarettes to discourage the purchase of cigarettes. That's the overt reason for it. And to supposedly help to pay for all of the additional health care costs that government absorbs because of smoking. But of course, they really, when they do that, they say this is to discourage smoking, but they really don't want to discourage smoking because they want the money they coming in. They wouldn't in. make the money anymore, exactly. Um, and and so, you know, a cynical view of these kinds of things is that these are among the most evil of taxes because you're essentially saying to an addicted population, ha, 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 you have no choice but to pay us these taxes. Uh, the same thing with taxes on alcohol, excise taxes on alcohol. Um, I think consumers of alcohol are often shocked when they realize how much of that bottle of bottle of uh of hard liquor or wine or that can of beer is actually taxes mm -hmm. that are being applied to that sale uh in many cases very substantial taxes that are applied and again the justification for this is just, it's, it's a sin tax it's trying to discourage people from consuming those products um the gas tax every time you fill up at the at the uh, gas pump you're paying both a federal gas tax and I think in almost every state, a state gas tax. Mm -hmm. That's an excise tax. Uh, not really a sin tax, but uh, the, 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 the justification in most cases for the gas tax is to pay for the, the general costs of transportation, maintaining roads and things like that, although in most places it just disappears into the general right. budget. It, it, that's true of the health care aspect, <laughs> well, the sin taxes as well. Yeah. We're, Doing it for health care, but the money just gets evaporated in exactly. other parts of the budget. Exactly. And in some cities and in some states, there are new excise taxes that have been put on sugar drinks, mm -hmm. sodas, and things like that for the very same reason. The idea is we want to discourage people from drinking these sugared sodas, these sugar drinks, and so we're going to put a punitive excise tax on there to try to, to discourage them from doing it. But because these are generally – because these kinds of taxes are generally applied only at, like, the, the city or municipal level, it's pretty easy to avoid them. You could just drive across the city line and, you know, go to a 7-Eleven or a bodega that's outside the city, and you can avoid those taxes. So here, here's the question. Uh, the government sometimes imposes fees on things. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going someplace, I'm doing something, the government has a fee for that. Yeah. And a fee might be different than a tax, but I, I think we keep seeing 
the government or politicians saying, well, we're going to increase the fee of for something, right. or we're going to do this new thing that you're going to have to pay for, but we call it a fee because I don't want to be accused of raising taxes. Yeah. So sometimes fees are actually taxes, aren't they? They certainly well, they certainly have have mostly the same effect, right? Mm-hmm. Now we would, I, I'm sure that that the argument would be that fees are different than taxes because you, in in large part, can decide you can choose whether or not to pay them, right? On the other hand, um, like here in Texas, for instance, you pay a registration fee every year mm-hmm. for your automobiles and motorcycles and boats. And, and I file that under taxes. Yeah, and, and it looks an awful lot like a tax <laughs> to me, you know. Um, a lot of libertarians, um, and, and this would include me, would argue that going more to a user fee-based system actually makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you have heavy users of roads, for instance, and light users of roads, but they all pay the same gas tax. Um, you frequently run into this in, in the next form of tax we're going to talk about, which is property taxes, which is essentially you're paying taxes to fund schools whether you have children or not. You know, um, And so you know, it, it seems like if you actually had a user fee system, it would do a much better job of actually having people pay for the cost of the services they consume. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, I think this is one of those, if it looks like a duck and if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And so they they may call it a fee, but it's really a tax. Uh, we run into this in some of the work we do on communications and technology because cable companies, uh, phone companies, uh, they are required to charge these various types of user fees mm-hmm. to their customers. In some cases, a lot of in user In some fees. cases, quite a bit. That's exactly right. And they're also those companies are also required to pay franchise fees to municipalities, essentially for use of the right of way mm-hmm. where their wires and their cables travel. But because everybody uses those services, that's really still a tax, even if it's called a fee. So I think your point is is a good one that they may call it a fee, but really it works like a tax. Okay, and then the third major category of taxes are property taxes, taxes on what you own. And the most obvious of these are when people talk about property taxes, they're generally thinking of taxes on home, their home or land that they own, right? Mm-hmm. And in many cases, uh, states and regions that are heavily dependent on property taxes, these can really become onerous. Mm-hmm. These can become in the many thousands of dollars every year that you are paying even on a modest-sized home or even on land that you own for various reasons. In fact, this is one of the reasons very often that, that people who hold on to uh, you know, land that their family once owned. Farms and so yes, forth. Yes, they end up forced to sell them because the property taxes just keep going up and up and up, even on undeveloped land. Right. Um, so those are what we call taxes on real property. Um, another form of property tax is the tax that you would pay on an inheritance. The estate tax is essentially a tax on inherited property or goods. Um, businesses, in, in fact, many businesses pay an inventory tax on just the amount of inventory that they have in their warehouse. And so, again, depending on the cha- tax jurisdiction, uh, every year businesses have some incentive to lower their prices or have a sale, an inventory right. reduction sale to get stuff out of the warehouse so that their inventory tax is lower than it otherwise would have been. So that's a tax on what businesses own. Businesses also pay a business property tax. And uh, even even though we at IPI are a nonprofit, every year we have to we have to pay 
local business taxes mm. on the assumed value of literally desks and computers and filing cabinets and things like that 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 we own, which is generally speaking not a large tax, but for a large business it certainly can be, especially businesses that own whole fleets of vehicles mm-hmm. and things like that. So that's a value of business property tax. Um, and then, of course, you have something we've heard a lot about lately being proposed in the United States, which are wealth taxes. And a wealth tax would be a tax not on what you earn, not on what you buy, but on what you own. And the idea of the wealth tax is to go after some of the super rich people out there that we keep hearing about, like mm-hmm. the Elon Musks and the Jeff Bezoses and people like that. And the idea is that because their wealth is not in the form of earned income, it goes untaxed. And the only way to essentially tax them for being wealthy is a wealth tax. But of course, a wealth tax would be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to fairly administer because what is the value of what they own, right? What's the value of their stock today compared to yesterday? Yeah, many times it's, it's the right? stock that they own. It can, it, can sw- it can swing wildly, okay? Now, we should point out that, I mean, we hate wealth taxes, and, and fortunately, we hate the idea of a wealth tax, and fortunately, we don't have wealth taxes in the United States. We should point out that for people who their wealth is in the value of the stock that they own, like Jeff Bezos's wealth in Amazon and Elon Musk's wealth in SpaceX or Tesla or whatever, that they do pay taxes when they sell mm-hmm. or when they pass them on to their heirs. And those are some of the taxes we've already talked about. They pay a capital gains tax when they sell stock. Uh, their heirs would pay estate and inheritance taxes when they inherit. So it's not like that wealth goes untaxed. It doesn't. It, will, it, it, it is taxed. It was taxed when it was earned. It is taxed when it grows, and it is taxed when it is passed on. So I think it's really kind of a mythical idea somehow that you've got these ultra-wealthy people out there and their wealth is not taxed. It's taxed in the form of many of these other taxes that we've talked about. So a a pure wealth tax would be yet another layer of tax on top of all that, on top of the income tax, the property tax, the capital gains tax, and things like that. So those are really the three broad categories of taxes that we have in our system. Income taxes, or taxes on what you earn, consumption taxes, or taxes on what you buy, and property taxes, or taxes on what you own. And most people pay all three kinds of those taxes. Mm-hmm. And by by states and localities essentially having a diverse portfolio of taxes, uh, you avoid political pressure for any one of those categories being really, really high. Here in Texas, where we're located, Texas does not have a state income tax. Uh, but we pay pretty high property taxes, and we pay above average sales taxes because the, the state's got to be funded somehow. Is there a tax that works better than other types of taxes? Well, we're going to talk about that in future of these Policy Basics podcasts because it transitions us into the issue of are any of these kinds of taxes more or less efficient than others? Mm-hmm. Are they more or less productive than others? Um, and sort of what is sort of the ideal way for a, for a state or a locality to fund their operation? And we're also going to talk about is there any real distinction 
between the point at which a tax is levied? Is there a real distinction between a tax that is paid at the cash register, a tax that is paid when you earn income, or a tax that is paid when you sell something? Does that actually matter? And that will take us into a discussion about the tax base, that what actually matters is what you're taxing, what activity you're taxing, not who pays the tax or when it's collected. But uh, our listeners can look forward to those topics in future IPI Policy Basics podcasts. So you can find out a lot more about these topics of tax policy at our website at IPI.org. Taxes is probably the biggest policy topic that we've worked on during our 35-year history, and so you can find lots to chew on on tax policy if you're interested. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk more about tax policy next time.